Section thirty four of Great Men and Famous Women, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Great Men and Famous Women, Volume One, by Charles F. Horn. Section thirty four sir francis drake fifteen forty to fifteen ninety six francis drake the first british circumnavigator of the globe was born in devonshire of humble parents so much is admitted with respect to the date of his birth and the method of his nurture the analysts camden and stowe are not agreed by the latter we are told that drake was born at tavistock about fifteen forty five and brought up under the care of a kinsman the well-known navigator sir john hawkins camden on the other hand anticipates his birth by several years and says that he was bound apprentice to a small shipowner on the coast of kent who dying unmarried in reward of his industry bestowed his bark upon him as a legacy both accounts agree that in fifteen sixty seven he went with hawkins to the west indies on a trading voyage which gave its colour to the rest of his life their little squadron was obliged by stress of weather to put into san juan de ua on the coast of mexico where after being received with a show of amity it was beset and attacked by a superior force and only two vessels escaped to make amends for his losses in this adventure in the quaint language of the biographer prince in his worthies of devon mr drake was persuaded by the minister of his ship that he might lawfully recover the value of the king of spain by reprisal and repair his losses upon him anywhere else the case was clear in sea divinity and few are such infidels as not to believe in doctrines which make for their profit whereupon drake though then a poor private man undertook to revenge himself upon so mighty a monarch in the years fifteen seventy seventy one drake made two voyages to the west indies apparently to gain more precise acquaintance with the seas the situation strength and wealth of the spanish settlements in fifteen seventy two he sailed with two ships one of seventy-five tons the other of twenty-five tons their united crews mustering only seventy-three men and boys all volunteers his object was to capture the now ruined city of nombre de dios situated on the isthmus of panama a few miles east of portobello then the great repository of all the treasure conveyed from mexico to spain off this coast of america his little armament was augmented by an english bark with thirty men on board so that deducting those whom it was necessary to leave in charge of the ships his available force fell short of a hundred men 
this handful of bold men attacked the town which was unwalled on the night of july the twenty-second and found their way to the market-place where the captain received a severe wound he concealed his hurt until the public treasury was reached but before it could be broken open he became faint from loss of blood and his disheartened followers abandoned the attempt and carried him perforce on board ship such at least is the account of the english there is a portuguese statement in hacklet's voyages less favourable both to the daring and success of the assailants failing in this attempt drake continued for some time on the coast visiting carthagena and other places and making prize of various ships and if we wonder at his hardihood in adventuring with such scanty means to remain for months in the midst of an awakened and inveterate enemy how much more surprising is it that the wealthy proud and powerful monarchy of spain should so neglect the care of its most precious colonies as to leave them unable to crush so slight a foe the english appear to have felt perfectly at their ease they cruised about formed an intimate alliance with an indian tribe named cymerons the bond of union being a common hatred of the spaniards and built a fort on a small island of difficult access at the mouth of a river where they remained from september the twenty fourth to february the third fifteen seventy three on the latter day drake set forth with one portion of his associates under the conduct of the cymerons to cross the isthmus on the fourth day they reached a central hill where stood a remarkable goodly and great high tree in which the indians had cut and made divers steps to ascend up near unto the top where they had also made a convenient bower wherein ten or twelve men might easily sit and from thence we might without any difficulty plainly see the atlantic ocean whence we came and the south atlantic that is the pacific so much desired after our captain had ascended to this bower with the chief cymeron and having as it pleased god at that time by reason of the brise a very fair day had seen that sea of which he had heard such golden reports he besought almighty god of his goodness to give him life and leave to sail once in an english ship in that sea we quote from a track entitled sir francis drake revived written by some of drake's companions corrected it is said by himself and published by his nephew in sixteen twenty six which contains a full and interesting account of this adventurous expedition drake's present object was to intercept a convoy of treasure on the way from panama to nombre de dios by this route the treasures of peru and chile as well as mexico were brought to europe for the passage round cape horn was then unknown and no ship but magellan's had yet accomplished the passage round the world to europe guided by the cymerons 
the english approached panama learned that a valuable treasure was expected to pass and beset the lonely forest road which it had to travel but the haste of one drunken man gave a premature alarm in consequence of which the march of the caravan was stopped and drake with his party their golden hopes being thus defeated forced their way through venta cruz and returned by a shorter route to their encampment after a toilsome and fruitless journey of three weeks it was not till april first that the long-desired opportunity presented itself on which day they took a caravan of mules laden with silver and a small quantity of gold they carried off part of the spoil and buried about fifteen tons of silver but on returning for it they found that it had been recovered by the spaniards drake returned to england on august the ninth fifteen seventy three in dividing the treasure he showed the strictest honour and even generosity yet his share was large enough to pay for fitting out three ships with which he served as a volunteer in ireland under the earl of essex and did excellent service both by sea and land in the winning of divers strong forts in fifteen seventy seven he obtained a commission from queen elizabeth i to conduct a squadron into the south seas what was the purport of the commission we do not find it appears from subsequent passages that it gave to drake the power of life and death over his followers but it would seem from the queen's hesitation in approving his proceedings that it was not intended to authorize at least formally his depredations on spanish property with five ships the largest the pelican of one hundred tons burden the smallest a pinnace of fifteen tons manned in all with only one hundred and sixty-four men drake sailed from plymouth on november the fifteenth fifteen seventy seven to visit seas where no english vessel had ever sailed without serious loss or adventure worthy of notice the fleet arrived at port st julian on the coast of patagonia on june the twentieth fifteen seventy eight here the discoverer magellan had tried and executed his second-in-command on the charge of mutiny and the same spot did drake select to perform a similar tragedy he accused the officer next to himself thomas doughty of plots to defeat the expedition and take his life plots undertaken he said before they had left england proofs were required and alleged so many and so evident that the gentleman himself stricken with remorse acknowledged himself to have deserved death and of three things presented to him either immediate execution or to be set on shore on the main or to be sent home to answer for his conduct he chose the former and having at his own request received the sacrament together with drake and dined with him in further token of amity he cheerfully laid his head on the block according to the sentence pronounced by forty of the chiefest persons in the fleet 
such is the account published by drake's nephew in the world encompassed of which we shall only observe without passing judgment on the action that drake's conduct in taking out a person whom he knew to be ill affected to him was as singular as is the behaviour and sudden and acute penitence attributed to doughty but we have no account from any friend of the sufferer it is fair to state the judgment of camden who says that the more unprejudiced men in the fleet thought doughty had been guilty of insubordination and that drake in jealousy removed him as a rival but some persons who thought they could see farther than others said that drake had been ordered by the earl of leicester to take off doughty because he spread a report that leicester had procured the death of the earl of essex having remained at port st julian until august the fifteenth they sailed for the straits reached them on august the twentieth and passed safely into the pacific on september the sixth with three ships having taken out the men and stores and abandoned the two smaller vessels but there arose on the seventh a dreadful storm which dispersed the ships the marigold was no more heard of while the dispirited crew of the elizabeth returned to england being the first who ever passed back to the eastward through the magellan strait drake's ship was driven southward to the fifty-sixth degree where he ran in among the islands of the extreme south of america he fixes the farthest land to be near the fifty-sixth degree of south latitude and thus appears to claim the honour of having discovered cape horn from september the seventh to october the twenty-eighth the adventurers were buffeted by one continued and dreadful storm and in estimating the merits of our intrepid seamen it is to be considered that the seas were utterly unknown and feared by all those who had tried to follow in magellan's course having seldom succeeded and then with much pain and loss and little fruit of their voyage that their vessels were of a class which is now hardly used for more than coasting service and that the imperfection of instruments and observations laid them under disadvantages which are now removed by the ingenuity of our artists add to this that as the spaniards gave out that it was impossible to repass the straits there remained no known way to quit the hostile shores of america but by traversing the unexplored pacific the storm at length ceased and the lonely pelican which drake however had renamed the golden hind ran along the coast of lima and peru reaping a golden harvest from the careless security of those who never thought to see an enemy on that side of the globe there is something rather revolting but very indicative of the temper of the age in the constant reference to the guidance and protection of god mixed with a quiet jocularity with which master francis fletcher preacher in this employment from whose notes the world encompassed which is a narrative of this voyage was compiled 
speaks of acts very little different from highway robbery such as would now be held disgraceful in open war as for instance on meeting a spaniard driving eight llamas each laden with one hundred pounds weight of silver they offered their service without entreaty and became drovers not enduring to see a gentleman spaniard turned carrier enriched by the most valuable spoil jewels gold and silver drake steered to the northward hoping to discover a homeward passage in that quarter in the forty-eighth degree of north latitude in what is now the state of washington he was stopped by the cold and determining to traverse the pacific he landed careened his ship and in the queen's name took possession of the country which he named new albion on september the twenty ninth fifteen seventy nine he sailed again and reached the molucca islands on november the fourth in his passage thence to the island of celebes he incurred the most imminent danger of the whole voyage the ship struck as they were sailing before a fair wind on a reef of rocks so precipitous that it was impossible to lay out an anchor to heave her off they stuck fast in this most hazardous situation for eight hours at the end of that time the wind shifted and the ship lightened of part of her guns and cargo reeled off into deep water without serious injury had the sea risen she must have been wrecked this was drake's last mishap he reached plymouth in the autumn of fifteen eighty after nearly three years absence accounts differ as to the exact date of his arrival since drake had for this voyage the queen's commission by which we must suppose the license to rob the spaniards to have been at least tacitly conceded he seems to have been rather hardly used in being left from november to april in ignorance how his bold adventure was received at court among the people it created a great sensation with much diversity of opinion some commending it as a notable instance of english valour and maritime skill and a just reprisal upon the spaniards for their faithless and cruel practices others styling it a breach of treaties little better than piracy and such as it was neither expedient nor decent for a trading nation to encourage during this interval drake must have felt his situation unpleasant and precarious but the queen turned the scale in his favour by going on april fourth fifteen eighty one to dine on board his ship at deptford on which occasion she declared her entire approbation of his conduct and conferred on him the honour and such it then was of knighthood his ship she ordered to be preserved as a monument of his glory having fallen to decay it was at length broken up a chair made out of its planks was presented to the university of oxford and probably is still to be seen in the bodleian library 
Cowley wrote a Pindaric ode upon it. Drake had now established his reputation as the first seaman of the day, and in 1585 the Queen, having resolved on war, entrusted him with the command of an expedition against the Spanish colonies. He burnt or put to ransom the cities of St. Diego, near Cape Verde, St. Domingo, Carthagena, and others, and returned to England having fully answered the high expectations which were entertained of him. He was again employed with a larger force of thirty ships in 1587, with which he entered the port of Cadiz, burnt ten thousand tons of shipping, which were to form part of the Armada, took the castle of Cape St. Vincent, and sailing to the Azores, made prize of a large and wealthy ship on its way from the Indies. Still more eminent were his services against the Armada in the following year, in which he served as vice-admiral under Lord Howard of Effingham. But these are well-known passages of history, and we have shortened our account of them to relate at more length the early incidents of Drake's adventurous life. In 1589, Sir Francis Drake and Sir John Norris were joined in the command of an expedition meant to deliver Portugal from the dominion of Spain. This failed, as many expeditions have done, in which the sea and land services were meant to act together, and, as usual, each party threw the blame on the other. Drake's plan appears to have been most judicious. It was at least accordant with his character, downright and daring. He wished to sail straight for Lisbon and surprise the place, but Norris was bent on landing at Coruna, where he did indeed some harm to the Spaniards, but no service toward the real objects of the expedition. When the land forces did at last besiege Lisbon, Drake was unwilling or unable to force his way up the Tagus to cooperate with them, and for this he was afterward warmly blamed by Norris. He defended himself by stating that the time misspent by the English at Coruna had been well employed by the Spaniards in fortifying Lisbon and we fully believe that neither fear nor jealousy would have made him hesitate at anything which he thought to be for the good of the service. This miscarriage, though for a time it cast something of a cloud upon Drake's fame, did not prevent his being again employed in 1595, when the Queen, at the suggestion of himself and Sir John Hawkins, determined to send out another expedition against Spanish America under those two eminent navigators, the expenses of which were in great part to be defrayed by themselves and their friends. Great hope was naturally conceived of this expedition, the largest which had yet been sent against that quarter, for it consisted of thirty vessels and two thousand five hundred men. The chief object was to sail to Nombre de Dios, march to Panama, and there seize the treasure from Peru. But the blow, which should have been struck immediately, 
was delayed by a feint on the part of the spaniards to invade england the plate fleet arrived in safety and the spanish colonies were forewarned hawkins died it was said of grief at the ruined prospects of the expedition on november the twelfth while the fleet lay before puerto rico and on the same evening drake had a narrow escape from a cannon-ball which carried the stool from under him as he sat at supper and killed two of his chief officers repulsed from puerto rico the admiral steered for the spanish main where he burnt several towns and among them nombre de dios he then sent a strong detachment of seven hundred and fifty men against panama but they found the capture of that city impracticable soon afterward he fell sick of a fever and died on january the twenty eighth fifteen ninety six his death like that of his coadjutor is attributed to mental distress and nothing is more probable than that disappointment may have made that noxious climate more deadly hints of poisoning were thrown out but this is a surmise easily and often lightly made thus says fuller in his holy state an extempore performance scarce heard to be begun before we hear it is ended comes off with better applause or miscarries with less disgrace than a long-studied and openly premeditated action besides we see how great spirits having mounted up to the highest pitch of performance afterwards strain and break their credits in trying to go beyond it we will not justify all the actions of any man though of a tamer profession than a sea-captain in whom civility is often counted preciseness for the main we say that this our captain was a religious man toward god and his houses generally speaking churches where he came chaste in his life just in his dealings true of his word and merciful to those that were under him hating nothing so much as idleness to these good qualities we may add that he was kind and considerate to his sailors though strict in the maintenance of discipline and liberal on fit occasions though a strict economist he cut a water-course from buckland abbey to plymouth a distance of seven miles in a straight line and thirty by the windings of the conduit to supply the latter town with fresh water which before was not to be procured within the distance of a mile he is honourably distinguished from the atrocious race of buccaneers to whom his example in some sort gave rise by the humanity with which he treated his prisoners and it should be mentioned as a proof of his judicious benevolence that in conjunction with sir john hawkins he procured the establishment of the chest at chatham for the relief of aged or sick seamen out of their own voluntary contributions the faults ascribed to him are ambition inconstancy in friendship and too much desire of popularity in person drake was low but strongly made well favoured 
fair and of a cheerful countenance he left no issue his nephew was created a baronet by james i and the title is still extant end of section thirty four recording by steve chilvers norwich england